Well, good evening once again. As you're finding your seats and your Bibles, uh, I am the bearer of good news. Uh, we have a great favored guest here tonight. He hasn't been in this pulpit for a number of years, but he is the senior pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel Golden Springs in Diamond Bar, California. He's also uh, has a radio program that's heard all over the U.S. as well as in this town. He's also an evangelist. And with all of that said, would you please welcome Pastor Raul Reese. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be here. <clears throat> Thank you. It's good to be here. It's always a blessing. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's always a blessing to be with you. A lot of times when people haven't seen you, they go, that's him, huh? That voice. <laughs> they always think I'm different. <laughs> it's that voice. That's what it is. But I'm so glad to be here with you tonight, and it's so been so good. God has, I remember when we came to Albuquerque many, many years ago, Skip only had 45 people in his Bible study. And I can remember going to the Akiva Auditorium, first time we ever came after being on the radio six months and watching God begin to work. The first time we came, 2,000 people showed up. We couldn't believe it. And it was just uh, the beginning of a great work that God had in for Albuquerque by sending Ch- uh, Skip here and allowing God to do a tremendous work to the life of one man and, of course, the body of Christ that is here tonight. There was... A man that loved his wife so deeply. And uh, he always wanted to please her. Loved her dearly. So he decided to give her a gift and buy her a Mexican parrot. I wonder why. <laughs> so he brought it home, set it up in the cage. And next morning uh, as he went to work, the parrot was sitting there by the staircase. And as the wife came down the stairs, the old parrot looked at her and said, You are the most ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) She was just so upset. Got the phone call, her husband said, Honey, this gift you gave to me just insulted me. You need to take care of business. Honey, don't worry about it when I get home. So he gets home, grabs the parrot by the throat, and says... Look, man, if you ever insult my wife again, I'm going to kill you. And throws him back in the cage. Gets up in the morning, leaves early, comes, you know, goes to work, and his wife gets up, walks down the stairs, and that old pair looks again and says, You are the most ugliest woman I've ever seen in my life. And boy, she was just irate. So then what she did is she called and said, Honey, she's crying. Honey, this parrot keeps insulting me. What are you going to do? Honey, don't worry. He came home, he got that parrot by the throat and said, Tomorrow you'll be soup, man. If you insult my wife one more time, this is it. Throws him in the cage. He goes to work next morning. Deliberately she gets up early in the morning. And she stomps down the stairs and she stands right next to the parrot's cage. And that old parrot is standing there looking at her face to face. And the parrot looks this way, looks that way, and he says, you know. (laughs) 
poor parent. <laughs> but now more to seriousness in our lesson tonight. It seems that we are living in the last days, for sure. We just came back from Romania. We did a Somebody Loves You crusade in Romania. And by the way, we're going to be here next year. And so we're looking forward to doing a, a tremendous crusade for you guys. But being around the world and coming and watching after 9-11 what happened to the United States of America, we never thought that we would ever, ever be attacked in our own land. And watching the response of the people, I can remember that very evening, or that very morning when I woke up, my mother-in-law calling me up and said, turn on the TV, 6 o'clock in the morning. As that second plane was sitting in that building. It was like a movie. And then watching on Wednesday night, because it was a Tuesday, and on Wednesday night, so many hundreds of people coming to church. And also on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And then as the days went by and the weeks went by, and as we began to settle down, you know, things became as usual. And business as usual with all kinds of people. No longer an urgency, but an apathy set in. And then I began to think, Lord, what is it going to take for the church of Jesus Christ to really wake up? And then the Lord gave me a message. He gave me a message taking me back to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross. The very instrument that Jesus Christ not only gave to the church, the instrument of death. Think about it for a moment. As we look at the cross of Jesus Christ tonight, this is not a popular message for today. When you, are, when you go out to different places of America and you travel across, you know, Central South America, Latin America, or you go over to the East, you know, wherever you go, the message of the cross is not a popular message. People today want to hear sermons that are positive, not negative. Tell me about myself. How much I need to love myself. And how good looking I am. And how much money I should be making. These are the kind of sermons we hear sometimes on television. Sometimes even on the radio. People today love getting their ears tickled. They love it. When you begin to speak the truth about God, they become offended. It seems that when you begin to speak on the cross, people get very uncomfortable. I've seen it. Very uncomfortable. You say, well, why? Because the cross demands death from every person's life. Death from every person's life. The cross is the instrument of death. That is, dying to yourself and to all your appetites and to all the things that you desire. Listen to what Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, turn with me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 17, Paul talking to a carnal church, the Corinthians. Now, somebody asked me the other day, well, what do you think the church is today? Where do you think it's going? And who do you think the church is in the Bible? Well, we know that in the Bible, the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. But if you were to ask me, as I look physically and spiritually at the church of Jesus Christ, because the church is made up of people, people like you and I, made of body, soul, and spirit. And when we come to Christ, we are spirit, soul, and the body is dead. But then at the same time, when you look at the church of Jesus Christ, you begin to see that the church of Jesus Christ has become like a Corinthian church. The church is probably 3,000 miles wide and only one feet deep. Think of that for a moment. I don't just say that to amuse anyone here tonight. I really believe in my heart that as you look at the church of Jesus Christ, that the church is going in a different direction that God called us to be in His Scriptures, in the Word of God. The Corinthian church had all of the problems that we see today. They had adultery, they had fornication, they had liars, they had drunkards. We have drug addicts today. And yet Paul the Apostle in the book of Corinthians, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he tells you that this has used to be our life before we came to Christ, but today we are new believers or we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And yet when you look at the church of Jesus Christ, you look at marriage and divorce. We have a high percentage, just like the world, over 55% of the church today divorces their mates. And one of the greatest things that we have today is the problem with the internet. The internet, a big problem. There's a new book that has just been written by one of uh, a great author, uh, Ken Hughes. And he writes everything that I've been sharing for the last 25 years on the radio. He just explained it in such a way that it just makes it real. And I thought, wow, Lord, this is what I've been preaching. Seven times in the book of Revelation, in chapter 2 and 3, it says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And yet at the same time, when you begin to see that there are people in the church, among the pastors, among the elders, among the deacons, among the helpers, and among the congregation, that they have their little computers at home or at work, and they plug in their computer, they dial in, and they get into pornography, into different websites. In this book, he says that 35% of believers and leaders, and it's probably higher than that, 
are having problems with the internet. What a lot of people don't understand and they don't know is that every time you go into the internet and you go into one of these uh, sites, your computer, the brain of the computer keeps the site. You can't erase it like the brain. And any wife or any husband can find out how many times your husband or your wife has been in that site. And a lot of men are getting caught. They're being exposed. But you know what the saddest thing about it is? It's destroying their marriages. It's destroying their sex lives. It's destroying their children and their grandchildren. How we need to be so careful that we understand that as believers, we are a different kind of people. We're not like the world. Yes, we live in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not of the world. This life is too short. Too short to be playing games, especially when Jesus Christ is coming again soon. Paul the Apostle in the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, beginning with verse 17. Let me read the text and then we'll expand on it. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the good, the good news or the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. For the message of the cross is stupidity, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is, listen, the power of God. The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, and it pleased God through the foolishness of the message of preaching to save those who believe. For the Jew requests a sign, and the Greek seeks after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block, and to the Greek foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. My brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the cross is the instrument of Christianity. It is the instrument of death. It is said of Charles Spurgeon that no matter what text he chose, he moved as quickly as possible across country to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. This is a good example to, for every one of us here to follow. Especially in the day that we are living under for such a day as this. We need to know the message of the cross. Spurgeon, Spurgeon also said to his ministerial students, 
He said, more and more, I am jealous less any views upon prophecy, church government, politics, or even systematic theology should withdraw one of us from the glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a theme for which I would enlist every holy tongue. Calvary is not only the place of atonement, it is also the place of amazement. Amazement. Where Jesus Christ died on the cross for each one of us. Are we so familiar with the cross that we no longer pause to wonder and to worship in the presence of a holy God that is before us? Are we able to explain Calvary so completely that no mysteries remain today? The wonder of the cross is itself worthy theme for the ministry and for today's message from the pulpits of America and the world. The preacher who handles this topic academically, whose heart is not moved by what the Savior did, is not likely to move anyone in his congregation if he's not moved himself by the cross of Jesus Christ. Now you and I know there are certain symbols universally recognized. For example, if I say to you, McDonald's, what comes to your mind? Double arches. Or a clown. If I say Mercedes Benz, immediately you connect. If I say Fox News, you connect. If I say BMW, you connect. And if I say Christianity, you connect in two beings. First, you see a fish, or you see the cross of Jesus Christ. The fish is cool, but the cross is better. Because the fish was only an identity mark for Christians to identify themselves in Roman times. To draw half of the fish, and then the other guy would do the other half, and we would say we're brothers in the Lord. But the cross is the key. In Roman times, there were three types of crosses that actually were killed. Uh, The victims were killed by the Roman Empire. You had the T-type, the X-type, and the regular cross that we know today. And yet many women, when you look at women today, you know, it's amazing on television stations, and years ago, Madonna wore a crucifix upside down. It became very popular. Sometimes you see women with crosses on their necks. They have Christ on it or without Christ. And they use it as something of jewelry. Many churches have, you know, huge crosses in front of their buildings or hanging from the wall. Crosses are always used also for what? Satanic movies to keep Satan away. When the major leaguers come up to bat, especially the Latin Americans, what do they do? The sign of the cross. The cross is very familiar to a lot of people. And so we can see that most people use the cross, yet do not know or understand the true meaning and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't know the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for what? For our sins. Our sins. Every one of us here tonight. 
Johannan shorter quote, I quote from him, he says, It has been the cross which has revealed to good men that their goodness has not been good enough. You see? The cross tells you, you are a sinner. You need Jesus Christ in your life. Why has the cross become a symbol for Christianity? Doesn't the cross represent a defeat, a weakness in the life of Jesus or the believer? No, it does not. The cross is the climax in each of the biographies of Christ in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, and in John's Gospel, and even in the book of Acts, we have the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is all over the New Testament. Frederick Norwood said, the cross is central. It is struck, he says, it is struck into the middle of the world, into the middle of time, into the middle of destiny. The cross is struck into the heart of God. To the heart of God. The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is all about what Jesus did for you and for me tonight. God help us to understand the cross. The fact that He was God, not only is it evident by the empty tomb, that makes us not only know that He resurrected, this is focal in history, but He died and He rose again from the dead, and the cross of Jesus Christ brings me to my knees in humility, because I recognize that He spread His hands out, and they put the nails through His hands, and through his feet. And then they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they called him king of the Jews. And then as he was hanging for three hours. Two thieves on the cross. One mocking. Saying dumb things to Jesus. On the other side one said. Lord remember me today when you enter paradise. He said today you'll be with me in paradise. And then as he gave up the ghost, remember, he gave up his own life. They came over and looked at him, and they took that spear, and they pierced his side, and the spear went through here, the closest part to the heart. And the Bible says that water and blood came forth. And my friends, the water and the blood coming forth, medically speaking, says this, Jesus Christ died of a broken heart for you and for me broken heart. Jesus Christ, my Lord and my King and my Savior. Jesus Christ, the one that we serve. No wonder in the book of Matthew when Jesus was there in Caesarea Philippi and he was on his way to Jerusalem and the disciples were following along and when they came to Caesarea Philippi, he took Peter, James and John and he directly asked him a question. He said, who do men say that I am? And he said, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Some say you're, you know, one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. But he said, but who do you say that I am? You see, if we don't care what everybody thinks about Jesus. Who do you think that I am? It's personal. Individual. As a father, as a mother, to your children, everybody individually has to know who Jesus Christ is. And then Peter was asked the question, Peter, who do you men say that I am? And he responded, 
And then Peter said, You are the Son of the living God. And then Jesus told him, What? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but you've had a supernatural revelation from my father Peter. And then he talked about the church. And then as you get a little bit you know, down the scriptures, you come to chapter 16, verse 24, and what does he do? He's telling them, look you guys, I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be betrayed. And when they begin to hear about death, they begin to hear about the cross, what do they do? They start talking about greatness. And they get bummed out. Why? Because they were thinking when we get to Jerusalem, we're going to overthrow the Roman government. We're going to sit on 12 thrones. Jesus will rule. We will rule. Everything will be cool. No. Disappointment time. When we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. So what does Jesus do? He teaches them about the cross. Listen. In chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 24 through 27. He says, Then Jesus said unto His disciples, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Now listen, these are the requirements for discipleship. Jesus said, If you love your mother, if you love your father, if you love your brother, your sister, your wife, your children, or anybody else more than Me, you are not worthy of Me. Jesus Christ has to be first. That's why Matthew 6.33 said what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Christ is numero uno. Number one. Not number two. Not number three. Number one. And the requirement first of all is what? If anyone, the invitation is for anyone that desires to come after Him. Number two requirement, you have to deny yourself. You know what the word deny means in the Greek? It means to forget about oneself. Forget about yourself. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to forget about yourself. It's not about you, it's about Him. It's about Him. And then thirdly, you take the instrument of death, the cross. You carry it by yourself. The instrument of death. And then what? You follow Him. You follow Him because you love Him. And because you want to be with Him. Then in verse 26, 25 He says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I love that. If you lose your life in this life, you're going to find it. But if you don't lose it, you're not going to find it. You're going to lose it at the end. And then he says even something greater and profound. Verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, don't let that deceive you in any way. Because, hey, Judas Iscariot sold his soul for 20 American dollars. People sell their souls for a night of drinking and partying, and sexual encounters, and drugs, and different things. And you know what is amazing to me? Is that those men that are in the internet, watching pornography, 
is just as equal as committing adultery physically. That's how bad it is. It will ruin your marriage. It will ruin you mentally. Spiritually, it will quench the Holy Spirit of God. I can see now why the prophet Isaiah, in his own time, when you start the book of Isaiah in chapter 1, immediately he talks about the hypocrisy of the people of God. Because as they were coming into the temple, what were they doing? They were coming in and they were lifting their hands unto the Lord. And the Lord says, take down your hands. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. He says, we have to check our hearts. When Jeremiah the prophet was called by God to come to the temple, as the people were coming to the temple, he told them, today, this Sabbath day, don't go inside the house of God, stay outside and talk to the people as they're coming in. Why? Because the people of God were coming to their sanctuary, to synagogue time, women on one side, men on the other side, and they were saying, hey, as long as we're in the house of the Lord, we are safe. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And the prophet Jeremiah said, no, it's not. He says, that's not a security being in the house of God. Why? Because Monday through Friday, they would live like hell. And then on the weekend coming to church, they became holy. And then Jeremiah, he tells Jeremiah, Hey Jeremiah, tell my people that is not so. And then he goes to the prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 8 of Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, come here, I want to show you something. Let's go over to the house of God. He goes over to the house of God. He says, there's a little hole in the wall. He says, I want you to pick through the wall. What do you see? So he goes there and looks through the hole. He goes, whoa, I can't believe it. They had set up all kinds of pornography stuff inside of the house of God. And the men and the women and the priests and them were indulging sexually inside of the house of God. And then he says, does that blow your mind, Ezekiel? Oh, Lord, that's bad. He says, wait, I'm going to show you something greater takes him in front of the temple and there's 25 priests sitting in an eastern position like the yoga position and they're meditating towards the east as the sun is going down they're worshiping the sun God's priest the leaders of the church may God help us to understand the cross of Jesus Christ Paul the apostle said hey I am crucified with Christ Jesus the cross of Jesus Christ is not only part of everyday experience. And notice, and it, it, it is not only part of my experience, it is the experience daily that I have to bear in my own body. The New Testament epistles make it clear that the message of the cross is practical. You cannot come to the cross by faith and live just as you please after every day. There has to be crucifixion every day of my life. Every day there has to be confession. There has to be repentance in my life. And yet, men may shoot themselves, poison themselves, drown themselves, gas themselves, hang themselves, but they cannot crucify themselves. Why? Because if you were to try to crucify yourself, I mean literally, physically, you couldn't do it. You only have two hands. Jesus Christ is the only one when we come and we humble ourselves before Him, then He can crucify each one of us according to His Word. As I submit myself to Him, as I give myself to Him, 
is I yield my body to Him. What did Paul say? Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man was, past tense, was crucified with Him, that the body, the, the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who died has been free from sin. And then in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The preaching of the cross is much more than the preaching about the cross. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ. It means bringing the cross to bear upon every doctrine of the word, every administration, every promise. It means seeing God's truth through the cross, the empty tomb. Some Christian missionaries once visited Maham Gandhi and he asked them to sing to him one of their hymns. Gandhi said, hey, can you guys sing me one of your hymns? And they said, which one do you want? And he replied, sing for me the one that best expresses what you are preaching. And what was it? The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's the key to the Christian life. It took them just a moment to decide. All together they sang, when I survey the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ. Interesting. And here we are tonight. The cross of Jesus Christ. I beg you by the mercies of God, men, women, children, that we are living in the last days before Christ comes again and the church of Jesus Christ needs to repent. True repentance that brings true change. If we want to see revival, if we want to see even greater miracles and wonders than we have ever seen, it's going to take the cross of Jesus Christ to be fitted in the body of Christ and to be preached and to be lived every day of our lives as long as we have breath to live. The cross of Jesus Christ has to be proclaimed. Let me give you eight reasons why the cross of Christ is so important to Christianity. Very quickly, I'll give them to you. Number one, the cross of Christ is a must. We read that in 1 Corinthians 1.17. For, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Secondly, the cross of Jesus Christ reconciles the believer. Ephesians 2.16 And that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Thirdly, the cross of Jesus Christ makes enemies. Philippians 3.18 Paul said, For many walk of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, the cross of Jesus Christ brings peace. First Colossians 1.20 And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Fifthly, 
The cross of Jesus Christ crucifies the world to me. Galatians 6.14 But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then sixth, the cross of Jesus Christ saves me from the wrath to come. Romans 5.9 Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Jesus Christ. And then seventh, the cross of Christ has redeemed me. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18.19 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, for your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Eighth and last, the cross of Jesus Christ demonstrates God's love for us here tonight. Revelations 1.5 And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. Hey, listen. The only thing that can wash us is the blood of Jesus Christ that was given to us through the cross of Jesus Christ, the instrument of death for each one of us here tonight. Father, I come before you this evening, Lord God, to ask you, as we stand here before you, Lord God, Father, in front of all these witnesses, those listening through the airwaves, through the internet, Father, and Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, Father, if there's anyone in this house that is visiting for the first time, Someone brought them here. Or they've come in previous times, Father, but they really have not experienced death and true conversion, Lord God. I pray, God, this evening that Your Holy Spirit would convict, that Your Holy Spirit would draw all men and women and children to Thyself, O God. And I'm going to ask you as we're standing here tonight, if there's anyone here that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you publicly to stand to your feet, to walk out onto the aisle, to walk down the aisle, and to come up here to the front of the stage by the staircase here. And I'm going to pray with you. As we worship, you get up and you come. No one is here by coincidence, but by divine appointment for such a time as this tonight. You get up, you come, 